There's a garden where Jesus is waiting. There's a place that is wondrously fair. For it glows with the light of his presence. Tis the beautiful garden of prayer. Oh, the beautiful garden, the garden of prayer. Oh, the beautiful garden of prayer. There my Savior waits, and he opens the gates to the beautiful garden of prayer. There's a garden where Jesus is waiting, and I go with my burden and care, just to learn from his lips words of comfort in the beautiful garden of prayer. Oh, the beautiful garden, the garden of prayer. Oh, the beautiful garden of prayer. There my Savior waits, and he a garden where Jesus is waiting, and he bids you to come meet him there, just to bow and receive a new blessing in the beautiful garden of prayer. Oh, the beautiful Go and open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs. We are continuing on our series on <clears throat> the home, and we've just started speaking about the topic of parenting. 
Last week, we kind of introduced the topic of how to parent, just dealing with some principles from the book of Proverbs, teaching us how to train our children up to serve the Lord. And this week, we want to answer the question, what should we teach our children? And I, th I think it's easy for people who don't have kids to probably check out at this point, right, Nathan? Okay, no. So, because he's like, well, I don't have any kids to teach these things too. But a lot of the principles that we're going to be talking about in this message, they apply to all of us. They're things that we all need. They're just things that we really, as parents, have a responsibility to make sure our kids have them especially. And so it shouldn't be the type of message where you can just check out and think nothing applies to me at all, okay? And you don't know if maybe in the future you might have kids, right, Joshua and teenagers? Someday you might have kids and you might need to know these things, right, before you get to that point. Um, and so the principles that are found here are, are going to be important for all of us. I was reading this week a book by Howard Sala. It's actually one of Pastor Carsey's books that he lent me, and I highly recommend the book for those who have younger children or are getting ready to start training their children. The book is Train Up a Child and Be Glad You Did. Okay, but in the book, Dr. Sala tells the story of Dr. Suzuki Sinitaka. Sinichi, I'm, I'm guessing how to say that last name. I should know this. I lived in Japan, okay? But Do Dr. Sinichi taught at the Matsumoto School in Japan. And Dr. Sinichi believes that the early years are the best time to teach a child a musical instrument, okay? I know, like, Liz must read books by this guy because she's got her kids learning to play at, what, three years old, something like that? Liz disappeared real quick. Okay, so, but uh, he believes that between the ages of two to four, those are the best times to teach a child to play an instrument because the earlier they are exposed to music, the better a, of a musician they will be later in life. And actually, he advertises that sometimes by six years old, he can have them playing with all the adults and everything. I don't think everybody's intended to be a child prodigy, but I think Dr. Suzuki... Uh, who formed the Suzuki method, he latched onto this idea that the most formative years in a child's life are those years from two to four years old or before the age of six years old. So some of those most formative years are before six. And most of our training, honestly, the basics are done by that point, by the, po by the time that they are six. As we mentioned last week, Proverbs is really, it's actually a parenting book. We looked at how throughout the book, um, it's a father addressing his son. He is trying to teach his son some lessons. And if you've missed out on those formative years of training, I want to challenge you tonight, don't despair, because training our children is a lifelong process. And while you may have missed those, those prime years, that doesn't mean that you can't raise your children to honor and to glorify God. I'm going to be giving you eight lessons that I think we should teach our children. Now, to be honest, this sermon could be a year-long sermon, really. It really could. There are so many things that we need to teach our children. And so I had to prioritize what I was going to say, and I'm going to be giving you a handout at the end that will give you some more suggestions from uh, Dennis and Barbara Rainey. They have a list of 40 things that they try to teach your kids, and I'm not going to try to teach through all 40 tonight because we would be here forever, okay? But every, every point in my message tonight is going to come from the book of Proverbs. The first lesson that I believe we need to teach our children, and I put this one first on purpose, is we need to teach our children to love God. We need to teach our children to love God. Let's turn to Proverbs 8, verse 17. 
Proverbs 8, verse 17. Proverbs 8, verse 17. says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Again, this is in the context of a father's lessons to his son. And oftentimes, I think we believe that it is easier to teach behavior than it is to reach the heart of our children. And so we excuse our lack of effort to teach this principle by saying something like this. I can't force my kids to love God, right? So I'm going to teach them to obey because I can require that. But I can't force my children to love God. And while we can't make our children love God, we can train them to love God. And we can create a thirst for God in their lives. You remember last week we talked about that word for train in the Bible and how it came from this idea of putting... um, what is it, prune juice? Not prune juice, I don't remember what it was. Okay, it was some kind of juice and oil on the inside of the palate that would prepare the baby for, the, for breastfeeding. It would create a habit of, of opening the mouth and, and anticipating this, this behavior that they needed in their life. And in that sense, our training takes the form of creating thirst or developing a desire for God or developing spiritual disciplines in their life related to having a relationship with God, but putting them in the right place where they can fall in love with God. And, I, and this, this isn't so important as, as parents because at, we can teach our kids right from wrong, but when they grow up and they become adults, if they don't love God, they're not gonna care. They're just gonna go do what they want to do anyways. You have to get their heart and God has to be the center of their life and we need to teach them to love God. This is why I believe in Proverbs 1, when it starts off the entire book in the introduction here of the book of Proverbs, the author says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The most important foundation we can give our kids is a fear and a relationship with our God. Every part of our training flows out from this. Everything comes out of this. If God does not have their heart, all the training in the world will be worthless. It'll be pointless. Our kids will only continue in their walk with God if they know what it means to love him. And the heart of our children is not neutral. I know our world likes to think people are just basically good, right? There are some good people out there, but people are not just basically good. We are not born good. We are born with hearts that desire sin, it is either pursu- our heart is either pursuing idols or it is pursuing God. Psalm 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. When do they go astray? Say it aloud. As soon as they're born, okay? Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This verse doesn't mean that David's mother was committing sin when she had had him as a child. This verse is teaching that from the moment of conception, from his and from his birth, he was a sinner. And all of us, all of us are sinners from birth. And that is true of our children. And so it is important that we guide our hearts, the hearts of our children, and teach them from the moment of birth to love God. Because otherwise we are going to pursue sin. 
We have all gone astray. So don't fall into this trap of thinking that your kids are just good kids, but they don't have a heart from God, for God. Those two things actually don't, don't go together. They will only go one direction or the other. They are not neutral. They are, they are either desiring God or they are pursuing after idols in their life. What is most important is not where a person is now, but the direction that their feet is, are pointing. Your children are going one direction. They are, their feet are either pointed towards God, and they may not be perfect now, but their feet are pointed that direction and they want God and they're pursuing him. Or their feet are pointed the other direction and they are pursuing their own idols, the, own, their th the things of their heart that they want instead of God. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Life flows from our heart. That is why this first principle is so important. So how do I teach my kid to love God? That's, that's, the, that's the difficult part, right? We can say love God, but are your kids going to love God? No. Again, you can't make them love God. I'm going to give you some suggestions. These are... These are, some of them are my suggestions, but to be honest, they, they come from other people as well. I'm not alone in giving these suggestions. But some of, some of this will overflow into next week's lesson. But first of all, I, I suggest that if you want your kids to love God, the first thing you need to do is you need to model before them what it looks like to love God. If you don't love God, how are your kids going to learn to love God? You can't teach them to love God if you're not actively pursuing him in your relationship. So it's very important that your kids see you loving and walking with God on a daily basis. Do they know that you pray and read your Bible? Even better than that, do they know that you passionately pursue after God? Because your kids can spot a fake. They can smell a phony. You might be doing all the activities, but your kids know if it's real or not. Is your relationship with God real? So model before them what it looks like to love God. Secondly, Model before them what God's love looks like to them. Show them how God loves in the way that you interact with them. A good rule of thumb when parenting is to ask yourself, what would God do? Is there mercy in your parenting? Because God is a God of mercy, right? Is there holiness in your parenting? Because God is holy. Is there love in your parenting? We, can, we are sometimes the best image our kids will see of what God is like in the way that we interact with them. If we want them to believe that God is a loving God, we need to be loving parents. So model before them what God's love looks like. Talk with them often about the Lord. Tell them what God's teaching you in, in, in the word and praise God with them when he's doing something good in your life. How many times do you stop and, and tell your kids what you, what you read in your devotions, right? You have an opportunity to share something with them and to impart what God is teaching you. Or when God does a blessing, do we stop and actually praise God in front of our children to declare before them how great he is for the things that he has done? So praise him and talk with them about what the Lord has done. Pray with them, okay? Bring them along into, and I put this word in here for a reason, into your real prayer life, okay? Because there, there are pray, prayers that we all do throughout the day, right? How many of you go to McDonald's and you say, Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. And you stick the cheeseburger in your mouth, right? Is that how most of us pray for our food? Okay. That's not real prayer. Okay. That's why I put that word in there. That is not entering into the presence of God and communing with him in prayer. That's just blessing 
the food, praying over the food. And I'm not saying we shouldn't thank God for the food, but what I'm challenging you with is not just to pray with your kids at mealtimes when it's just a short, brief prayer thanking him for the food, but invite them into your prayer life where you come before God and into his presence. But again, you can't do this if your prayer life is mediocre. You can't show them what that's like. Another way is to worship God together by making church a priority or and by doing family devotions. We'll be talking about family devotions next time. But do your kids know that church is a priority to you? Is it just something that you can do without? If it's inconvenient, we'll skip it. The question we really need to ask ourselves is this. Why do we come to church? Why do we come here? Why, why bother? There, there's got to be more of a reason than just it's the thing that we're supposed to do on Sundays. If church is really about worshiping God like it ought to be, or hearing his word and, and being challenged by the spirit to, to grow and to change, then we would value church the way we ought to. Do your kids know that you value that? Or is it optional? Is it something you can do without? You set the lesson by your example. Where does the worship of God fall on your priority list? If we want our kids to, to love and to worship God, we've got to set that example but then encourage them to show their love to God by their obedience. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, what are we to do? Keep my commandments, right? Model that, show that in their lives. Encourage them to obey God's commands as an evidence of their love for God. These are all just small things that we can do that we can, that we can accomplish that will help our children learn to love God. And without this, nothing else matters. We need to teach our children to love God. Second thing is we need to teach our children to avoid the fear of man. Let's turn to Proverbs 29, verse 25. The rest of these points aren't necessarily in any priority, but the loving God is the number one priority. That's the first point that we need, okay? But Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth, putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of man, I think mo many of us, we fall prey to this on a daily basis. We're afraid of doing the right thing, saying the right thing, praising God because of what other people will think. But one of the biggest struggles that children face is this struggle of peer pressure, right? They're going to go to school, and they're going to be around kids who don't love God, and the cool thing is not going to be to be a good godly Christian who loves God. The cool thing is to be the, re the rebel, to be the one who does, follows their own heart, and does things that displease God, and teens especially fall prey to this sort of thinking. Our habits and our customs are largely developed by the culture that we live in, and the, and the group around us puts a lot of pressure for us to fit in. Now, some of us, the weird ones, we're perfectly fine with being individualistic, right, Luke? No. Okay, so, you know, peer pressure doesn't matter as, as much to some, but peer pressure can, can be a, a monumental force in shaping who our kids become. Because the world has their values and they want to dictate what they should be like. But peer pressure can be a good thing, right? 
it could be used for good. You can use peer pressure to encourage people to do what's right, to follow after God. But when we give in to worries about what other people will think or say about our actions, we are giving in to the fear of man. And as we saw in the last point, our, we should be fearing God, not fearing man. The opposite of fearing man in these verses is trusting God. Can we trust God that he will help us and be with us when we must do something that others won't understand, they won't like, or they won't agree with? So we need to train our children not to give in to the fear of man. I think the best way to do that is to repeatedly have conversations with our children about peer pressure. Help them work through situations that they are or are being tempted to give in to that peer pressure. When you see your kids come home from school and they've picked up a new habit, I don't know, maybe they dyed their hair purple. Okay, we'll use that from this morning. <laughs> so they dyed their hair purple and they got a mohawk, okay? Are you gonna have that talk with your kid? Are you going to sit down and talk with them about peer pressure and how, the, how everybody else wants to get you to do things the way they want you to do things, but there are certain things that please God and we shouldn't give in to negative peer pressure in our lives. But you need to, when you see those habits, you need to pull them aside. You need to have those conversations with them. Sit down with them and talk with them and point them primarily to the word of God. And then if necessary, come up with a plan to train better habits in their lives. I'll give you an illustration when I was a kid, okay? So I went to military public school. I don't know what you call it. It's not military school like we had to dress up in uniforms, but it's not public school like y'all probably went to. It's somewhere, in, it's something, something totally different, okay? But anyways, I went to public school until I was in fourth grade, and I remember in fourth grade I came home and I said my very first cuss word, okay? I had heard it at school. Other kids had, uh, had been saying these words, and I came home, and I thought this was cool, and so I was going to cuss, okay? Well, you know what my mom did? She took a bar of soap, stuck it in my mouth, and washed my mouth out literally with a bar of soap. You know what? I never said another cuss word after that point, okay? So even to this day, I've never, I've never said another cuss word. She uh, implied some instruction in my life, okay? So, but if your kids come home with bad habits, you have to step in and you have to train them. The more you ignore them and the more you just let them go, the worse it's just going to become. So as parents, we are responsible for molding our children. Somebody's going to mold them. It'll either be you or it'll be the world. Those are your choices. Somebody is going to mold them. And so we need to step in and help them to avoid giving in to the fear of man or giving in to peer pressure. Next lesson we can teach our kids is how to receive instruction and criticism from others. Let's turn to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, verse number 15. <clears throat> The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 15.32 says, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. People don't naturally like to be corrected. They bristle when people are correcting them. I mean, just think of every average Sunday in, in a church where the gospel or where the word of God is being preached. People bristle under that. They don't like to receive it. And I think it's because we've had generations now of people who haven't been trained to receive instruction 
and criticism from others in the right way. Correction is easier when our kids are small, right? When they're, when they're really little, we can say, hey, stop doing that, and our kids will, will usually listen to us, right? The older they get, that tends to be a little bit harder if they are not corrected when they are younger. They grow old and they fight every decision that you make. But the child must be taught to submit to authority. Submission is the conscious choice to place your will under the will of another. It is surrender. But the opposite of submission is rebellion. When a child is used to their parents giving in to them whenever they scream, they whine, or they yell, they learn that they can get away with rebellion. They will do, they will do whatever it takes to get their will and to get their way. According to Jim Berg, there are three types of rebels, and I think sometimes we only think of one type of rebel, but there is what we call the assertive rebel. The assertive rebel says, I will not obey. I'm not going to do it. Those are the easy ones to spot, right? They're obvious. Sometimes they're actually easier to deal with, okay, so because they're out and open with it, um, because they refuse to do what they are told. But there are two other types of rebels out there. There's what we call the compliant rebel. A compliance rebel says, I will do what you say only because it's what I wanted to do anyways, or it, or it aligns with what, what I want, okay? And anytime you tell me to do something I don't like, that's when I choose to rebel. That is the compliance rebel. They're a little bit easier to handle sometimes because generally they're going to do what's right if you can convince them it's the right thing to do, okay? But then you also have the passive rebel. The passive rebel says things like this, I forgot to obey, or I can't obey, or I didn't know to obey, or I just wasn't thinking. Oftentimes, this is where most of our good Christian kids are. They fall into this category, because on the outside, they do a lot of good things, but when they don't really like something, they don't pay attention, so they forgot. They weren't thinking about what they were supposed to do. Or they acted without thinking. Or they feel they can't obey. And this is still rebellion, ultimately, because they are not doing what they are told to do. The best way, I think, to train in this area, how to, how to teach a kid to receive instruction, is to be consistent in dealing with it, in dealing with problems, be consistent to correct them, and then deal with improper responses as well. A child should be disciplined not only for wrong actions, but for wrong attitudes. If, if a parent says, hey, take out the trash, and your kid screams and yells at you and stomps his feet, but he takes out the trash, do you deal with that? That's still a problem, isn't it? Do you guys understand me? They obeyed, but it's still an issue, and you have to deal with that. That's an improper response to what they've been told to do. So we need to teach our children by consistent correction how to respond to instruction and criticism. Let's turn to Proverbs 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, verse 23. I'm not going into exhaustive detail on any one of these topics because this is just more of an introduction, again, because there's more than I can possibly teach on this topic. But Proverbs 4, verse number 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The emotions and the heart of our children 
is very important. Why? According to the text, why is, why is our, our child's heart so important? Out of it are the issues of life. Everything else that you do comes out of that. It flows out of that. And so the, the father here challenges the son to keep thy heart with all diligence. Teens especially struggle with an emotional quagmire boiling deep inside of them. And it is difficult for them to learn how to deal with this influx of emotions that they've never had before. It's, it's strange to them. So how do, we deal, how do we teach our kids to control their emotions, right? How do, how do we deal with them to keep their heart to control how they feel? First of all, we need to be understanding. I know I am very quick to shut down my kids because of wrong behavior and wrong, wrong attitudes. And oftentimes I don't listen and I don't understand what is going on. Uh, one example, um, there have been times when there's been bickering going on. And I walk in the room and I can't stand noise, okay? And so I say, and so I yell and I get on to them. Again, I'm, I'm telling you this is not the right thing to do, okay? <laughs> so I yell and I get on to my kids. And I find out that one of them was the only problem. The rest of them were all trying to defend themselves from being murdered by the other child, okay? No, that's over-exaggeration, okay? So, but I don't listen, and I don't, res I don't respond in the right way because I didn't spend the time to understand why they felt the way that they felt. And sometimes our kids, they feel disconnected from their parents because we've forgotten what it was like to be a teenager sometimes, right? For those of us who are younger, it may be a little bit easier, but we're still, we're still a little distance from that. I mean, I think about the year I graduated. I'm going on 20 years since I graduated high school. Okay, so it's, we forget what it was like to go through the, the things that they go through, to think about being in school and all these kids who they, they, they have these weird standards on what's cool, and I just don't happen to fit into that. And sometimes as parents, we cut ourselves off from them because we don't understand We've forgotten what it was like. Secondly, communicate with them openly and clearly about the feelings that they are having. Show them what you expect. Okay, Carrie Schmidt says in his book that we are to nurture them through logic. Explain to them what they're feeling, why they are feeling what they are feeling, and how to deal with what they are feeling. Okay? Expect compliance. Ultimately, as a parent, you are still the authority, right? Your kids don't just get to dictate to you what they're going to do. You are still the authority in their lives. So you can't just back off during these moments. You need to be involved in their lives and to hold them accountable for their actions and for their reactions. For teens who are getting into their dating years, okay, this is especially a tumultuous time. Encourage friendships over dating until they are ready for marriage. Honestly, encourage friendships over, over dating until they're ready. Help them build relationships with people who are of the same gender. And then watch out for the danger signs. There are danger signs that our kids are emotionally compromised. One of those is isolation. When your kid just backs off and drifts and doesn't talk to anybody else, there's something wrong, and you need to be aware of that as a parent. A second one <clears throat> is when they're spending too much time with one certain boy or one certain girl. Usually that's a sign that they're getting too attached to this person. And I'm going to be honest, even though I, I personally will allow my kids to date after 16 years old, you can disagree with me if you want, I will allow that. 
but they should not be coming so emotionally attached to a single boy or a single girl that they have, they have no friends and no relationships outside of that person. That is unhealthy for them. <clears throat> Another one is too much physical contact. If they're hanging all over each other, that should be a red flag to parents. This child is becoming too emotionally attached. They're not guarding their heart. They're not paying attention to their emotional state. They are giving in to things that they shouldn't be giving in to. So pay attention to these red flags. Don't take breakups and emotional stressful situations in their lives lightly. Sometimes because we don't understand, it's easy for us to think, oh, it's just a childish crush. They'll get over it tomorrow, right? How many parents have said that? To your kid, that's life or death. You may think it's just this petty little thing, but emotionally they're not processing it like that. And you need to take it seriously. And then I've preached a whole message on this. We need to build guardrails into their lives to protect them physically and, emotional, and, and emotionally, especially their purity. They need to have those boundaries in their life to protect them, to keep them from making mistakes that they can't go back from in their physical and emotional purity. It is important that your child knows that it is all right to feel, but they must be guided on how to deal with those emotions and how to act on those emotions. And parents are responsible for teaching them to, and to learn how to protect their heart. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. That's the positive. Then Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and with, without walls. When our kids don't know how to control their spirit, their emotions, they are at danger. They are like a city without a wall. And what happens to a city without a wall? Think medieval, don't think America. Okay, so a city without a wall is open to invasion by the enemy. And in your kids' lives, if they don't know how to control their own spirit, they are like that city that is broken down and, was out, and is without a wall. So we should teach them to guard their heart. Next, we should teach them the importance of good friends. Okay? Proverbs is filled with lessons about the right kinds of friends to have in their lives and the influences that they should have. And sometimes I think that we slip into this thinking that our kids should be allowed to hang out with whoever they want to hang out with, Right? But friends are probably one of the most significant factors that determines the direction of their lives. <clears throat> I've seen families that have had one child turn out walking for the Lord and another child who's walking in the world. What was the difference? They had the same parenting. The difference, in my experience, was the friends that they had, that they hung around with. A friend can be a great thing. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loveth at all times. They are a safe place when times are hard. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend can speak hard truths when they need to be heard. In Proverbs 17, verse 27, verse 17, says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the counsel of his friend. A friend can help us to grow spiritually. There are blessings to have good, godly friends in our lives. This is a weakness in my life. I don't make friends very easily. And I don't want my kids 
to develop that. I don't want my kids to follow in that step in my steps in this area because they need good godly friends. The key to making friends is to go out of your way to be a friend, right? Proverbs 18 verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Now I have a distinct memory as a Again, I'm, I was an introvert. I don't make friends very easily. We moved to North Dakota. Our first house had burnt down in a fire, and we moved into a new neighborhood, and I had no friends because I'm in a totally new neighborhood. In fact, I think it was a totally new school because I was in a different part of the base, okay? My mom, that first week, kicked us out of the house, locked the door, and said, go make friends and don't come back till you got one, okay? I'm not, again, I'm not saying do this, okay? But this was my mom, okay? So <laughs> I was kicked out and made to make friends. If you want to have friends, you got to go make them. You got to be a friend to somebody, right? We needed that kick to get out there and to make friends. But, and so friends can be a blessing, but not all friends are good. Some can have a bad influence on our children. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications are evil, really, I'm just going to throw the word friends in there. Evil friends corrupt good manners. That's the meaning of the word behind, behind this text here. So it's important that while you can't keep your kids away from everyone, you need to realize there are different levels of friendship. You can have an acquaintance, somebody you just know and you say hi to every now and then. You can have casual friends. You're around them every now and then, but they're not really close. You can have close friends, and then you can have intimate friends. Those who are not healthy for your kids should not be allowed into the close and intimate levels of their friendship circles. They should be restricted to the acquaintance and casual friends circles in their lives because evil communications can corrupt good manners. Another lesson we need to teach our kids, and I'm going to have to wrap up soon because we're running out of time, is how to handle failure. Okay? Another important our ch lesson our children need is how to, how to handle failure. What do you do when you mess up or when you don't succeed? Right? Proverbs gives us guidance for what to do in those scenarios. The first one is that we should get up again. Proverbs 24, verse 16, for a just man falleth how many times? Seven times. That's a lot of times to fall down. But what does he do after he falls those seven times? He gets up again. Don't quit. Don't give up. I, li I love the illustration of Thomas Edison with the light bulb. You know how many times he tried to make a light bulb? The actual number, I looked this up to verify, is 2,774 attempts. Okay? That's how many times he tried to make a light bulb. How many of you would have quit after the first five? Anybody? Okay, yeah, me, definitely. Okay, so, but he kept on trying over and over and over again. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. And when our kids fail at something, we should encourage them not to quit, not to give up, but to keep on trying. That's the only way we ever get better at something, right? So if we keep on trying. We should all tra also train them to have hope even when things look dark. Proverbs 14, verse 32 says, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Okay? When kids fail, their usual response is to get angry or to get depressed right? That's how they normally respond. They stomp, they argue, they complain, they fight when they didn't win. But we need to redirect our, their thoughts away from the loss and teach them to control their emotions and remind them that there is hope that they can succeed if they will try again. And then we need to teach them not to go back to the same failing things over and over again. 
Proverbs 26, verse 11 says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. I don't, this the definition obviously isn't scientifically accurate, but it's been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results, right? If you want to change, you want to see something, something improve, you can't keep on doing the same thing you've always been doing. How does that apply to our parenting? When we've seen that we failed in an area in our parenting, that means we need to stop and we need to think, we need to change. Something has to change if we're going to be successful. If you don't want to fail, you have to try something different. Next one that I want to talk about is how to handle sexual temptation. Let's turn to Proverbs 5. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter number 5. Start in verse 3. It says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Especially in the teen years, sexual temptation becomes stronger. Our culture is filled with images on every wall. You go to the mall, there are posters everywhere with sexualized images. There are movies that promote wrong lifestyles. And our culture teaches that there's nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. So how do we teach our children to deal with that temptation? We have to have those talks, first of all, sooner rather than later. Proverbs 5, verse 1 says, My son, attend unto my wisdom. He says to his son, listen to me. I've got some wisdom I need to give you in this area. He sits down with his son to talk about it. Our culture is teaching them the wrong things at an earlier age. And the only way to combat that is to give them the right information and to train them in right behaviors earlier. When that time frame is, that's really a decision between you and, and God but I know with my family, we try to progressively give them more and more information. At an early age, we talk about boundaries with their, with their bodies. But then around 10 years old, we start getting into more detail. At 11, we give them more. At 12, we've actually got a Christian book with everything that they need to know related to this topic that we give them to read. And I think over time, as they get older, you need to give them more information. And then right before marriage, a couple months before their marriage, I've got another book by Kenneth Wiest. Not Wiest. What's his name? Wheat. There you go. Okay, not Wiest. So Wiest would not write this book. Okay, so, and I give that to them before their wedding because there's more information that they still need that I, isn't appropriate to give them before that point. So we need to talk. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. Verse, verse 3 says that we need to teach them to see through the lies of temptation. The lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. The temptress uses her words to draw in. And I know this text is uh, speaking negatively more of the woman's side of things in this, but that's because it's a father speaking to his son. But the same principles apply to a daughter as well. The lies of temptation are things like this. No one's ever going to find out. Or, but we love each other. We should be allowed to express our love however we want to. Or, I know when to stop. I know when that point is when, I, when we can stop. And the lies seem to be like sweet honeycomb and smooth like oil. We need to challenge our kids, according to verse 4, to consider the consequences. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. 
<clears throat> remind them of the consequences. Encourage them to renew their mind. Proverbs 5, verse 6, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. If we want to keep them from following into her lives, we've got to remind them to renew their mind, to think on the paths of life, to ponder them. Temptation strength is the result of constantly thinking about temptation. Young people, when they are tempted in this area, they sneak around. And I've always challenged my kids with this. If you have to sneak around and hide something, you're most likely doing something wrong. The exception to that is birthday parties, okay? But other, other than that, if you're sneaking around, you're probably doing something wrong. And so we need to remind them of what God's word says and help them to renew their mind. Proverbs 5 verse 8, verse 8 says, Remove thy way far from her. Stay away from her. It's a temptation. It's a struggling point for you. Then you just need to stay away. The New Testament tells us to flee fornication. If you want to avoid giving in to sin, you need to avoid the circumstances that will put you in the position to give in to sin. If a boyfriend or a girlfriend is pressuring you and inviting you to sin, you need to avoid that person. They are not healthy for you. They, probably should, they definitely shouldn't be your boyfriend if they're pressuring you in this area. There's a problem there. Remind them of their future spouses. Verse number 18. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Okay? Now, is this young man married yet? No. <laughs> His father's counseling him for the future. And he's telling him to remember this wife that you're going to have. He's saying, let, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Imagine being able to be married and at the wedding day to know that you are there pure before God. And to say, I saved myself for this spouse. It's a gift to give to them. And so remind them of their future spouse. Remind them also that God sees everything. Verse 21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. We want our kids to be sexually pure. We need to remind them that God sees everything. He pondereth all our ways. And then remind them that Sexual sin is a bondage. Verse 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Because this type of sin is the combination of a physical and an emotional action, it can become an addiction. This is why pornography is so dangerous. And relationships that have crossed those boundaries can become just as dangerous because they develop addictive tendencies within us. I'm just going to give you the last few points here. I'll give you the verses and you can look them up later. Uh, the, the next point is the importance of getting counsel. Proverbs 19 verse 20 through 21 says, Hear counsel and receive instruction. That thou mayest be wise in, the, in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. We need to encourage our children to seek counsel. To get the advice from other people. There are wiser men out there. The Bible teaches that the hor in the hoary head is wisdom. Sorry, Pastor Carsey, you missed out on this because you never went gray. Now, okay, so, but in the gray head, there is wisdom. That is the natural things of how things are supposed to be. In our culture, unfortunately, it's not consistently true because there are a lot of gray-haired people that are not wise. But 
a godly Christian older person has lived through life more than we have, and they have something to offer, and we should listen to their advice. There's more to this point, but we're going to move on. Like I said, there's a whole lot that I could talk about, and I'm just going to limit it to these eight points. I chose these points because they are some of the main themes that you will trace throughout the book of Proverbs. I have a sheet that actually I'm going to have. uh, Could I get some uh, deacons to come forward? We're going to pass out a couple things here. But this sheet is 40 lessons we sought to teach our children. Okay, Give these to any adults in the service, specifically parents primarily, but any, any other adults if you have extras. I've been working my way through this list in our family devotions. My wife just discovered that because she was reading the list and she's like, oh, that's what you talked about in family devotions the other day. You know, so I'm trying to glean from their advice on what the things that I need to teach my children to be more proactive about it. But parenting doesn't happen by accident, right? It doesn't happen as you live your life with your kids and it just poof, magically happens, right? They will learn something, but generally it will be all the wrong things that your children will learn. So I pray tonight's message can help give some practical guidance on that topic. Do we have enough for all the parents? Daniel? Okay. Parents and potential parents, right? Did you guys get one, David? Okay. Okay, I got one more thing to pass out. Okay. So an anonymous donor in the church volunteered to purchase a copy of Passionate Parenting. This book is primarily geared towards those with teens, but the principles that are in it are are still good, I think, across the board for the most part. We'll go ahead and pass those out to the parents as well. If you want something more focused on younger children, I would highly recommend that book by Harold Sala, Train Up a Child and Be Glad That You Did. That That was a very helpful book. But the more information you guys can get on parenting, I think, the better. And I think parents, we should make a study of how to be good parents, how to do our job better. We should be growing as parents every single day until our kids are no longer in our home, right? (laughs) Because God God always has something to teach us. So hopefully tonight's message has been help. Let's... uh, Go ahead and stand, head bows, eyes closed. Really, I'm asking us to commit to teaching our children the things that we need to, we need to teach them. For those of you who don't have children, 